Hey, what's up guys? On this episode of Drugs and Stuff, our main topic is high dose versus low dose primo. After that, we've got a steroids in the news. Uh, this chick from the Olympics says she tested positive for DECA because she ate a burrito. <laughs> After that, Dave shows us a bottle of crash test. We've got a bunch of listener questions. And of our timing, and will caffeine affect the absorption? Gear that smells like bacon? Uh, Spoiler alert, we don't have an answer for that one. Growth hormone timing plus dealing with post-injection pain. Oh, and Dave tells us some ghost stories at the end. Guys, if you enjoy the content, do us a favor, hit the like button. Plus, listen, we appreciate your comments. You guys have been uh, commenting the hell out of the shows, and that's helping to boost us up in the algorithm, so we much appreciate that. Uh, if you enjoy the shows, then check out our great sponsor, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, and uh, consider checking out our Patreon. All right, guys, let's get to the program. Dave, we got a bunch of stuff going on today. We've got a uh, topic being uh, low dose primo versus high dose primo. We got a bunch of stuff from our listeners you guys posted on the previous episode, um, including there was some stuff we talked about last week regarding UFOs. And so I wanted to ask you your personal UFO experiences and have you been abducted? So we'll get to that. Um, also, all of our programming is brought to us by crosslands.org.uk. You can go over there and uh, message our good friend, Jolly Dave. And send me some clients. Yeah, keep typing. Why don't you just send messages to other people during this whole show? I saw, oh, no, I saw that. I was just finishing something off, all right? No, you minute, Mister, My phone goes off. Mister, my dog runs around in the background making loads of noise, and you won't let me shoot it. You know, I mean... That's why you guys don't have guns over there. You can't be responsible. Uh, All right. Primo. Okay. Primo. Primo, Primo balling. What? What about it? So, there, the, when I first you, you got into gear, it was said on the message boards, you had to run Primo really high to get an effect. 700, 800, 900, a gram of Primo... I feel like people are, are now going to the opposite of the spectrum and they're exploring low-dose gear, like low-dose trend, low-dose tests, everything, man. Uh, we had a guy, and I don't know where this message is exactly, but he was asking about Prima Bolin and what would be the lowest dose you could use of it to get a good effect. I don't think it's a bad compound at all, man. Um. I don't like these sort of questions because obviously the drug element is only a small part of the triangle, you know, sure. diet training and uh, are, are obviously very, very important. Strangely enough, um, I had someone come to see me this week, friend of mine as well, but had come for some blood work. Um, and he's been having some problems with high primo. Um, and it turns out so have quite a few other people he's talked to. Um, and by high, I'm talking 800 meg high. Okay. Okay. And they've, they've all been reporting stomach issues and problems with uh, diaphragm in the sense of hiccups, so spasmatic diaphragm. 
That can relate to uh, to indigestion. Hiccups. Which, yes, it could do. I mean, it could be a couple of things. Um, but the only thing that all these, I mean, obviously the problem with this sort of information is it's always down to the individual's interpretation of what they're doing. Of course, yeah. You know, it's not a, it's not a clinical situation. But, I mean, this guy's he's not an idiot. You know, he's well switched on. He's quite knowledgeable. So I would suspect that his his interpretation of, of what's going on is probably quite accurate. And and basically what he said is, this is the first time he's run high-dose Primo. The other drugs in his cycle are quite low and very commonly used by him. Yeah. And, and he's having severe problems with, with hiccups. Um, and when he started asking questions, there's quite a few other people come forward and said, yeah, I had a similar problem when I was on high-dose Primo. Hmm. And he was asking me, did I know anything that could be triggering that within the Primo? Uh, and I only had a brief look, but it's quite – people think this is set up, but we haven't discussed this before. We literally went on air now. Um, so I, was, I had a bit of a dig yesterday um, in um, DHT and and digestion and there's there's some there's nothing directly relating to DHT causing digestive issues but there is definitely links between DHT levels and digestive tract. Oh really? Um, yeah, oh. uh, but it was more from the other end, so it was more looking at digestive function and how that affected DHT levels. So if if one can affect the DHT levels, then I would suspect that there's potential for DHT to have the reverse effect against digestion. But I can't find anything that that specifically discusses that. Um, see, this is where we need Clever Scott here, because Clever Scott would probably know something about this. I'm Clever Scott. No, I said Clever Scott. I wonder, um, okay, I, I have a question for you. You're okay, Scott. I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, but I do have a question. <laughs> One nil to me. <laughs> I do. I do have a question for you. Uh, oh, by the way, your friend Parker just messaged me. I said, hey, Dave told me uh, to send you a friend request. And he said, thanks, bro. Dave's a great dude. So he likes me this far. There's that. Um, um, are all these guys in the same area? Like, could they be using the same brand? No, no. Okay. These, are, these are actually an international platform. So some okay. of these guys are stateside, some of these guys are Dubai, some of these guys are UK. Um, so no, it, okay. it, it's definitely not that. Um, so um, going back to, I mean, the, the, the obviously Primo is one of those drugs that we really struggle with from a point of view of, of um, being genuine. It, it's sure. one of the compounds that is always a problematic. I mean, you know, test is genuine. Test Decker is generally Decker, but Primo is often Mast or or, or Decker or Test. <laughs> or Decker or Test, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, the, it, I would suspect that it's something to do with the DHT side of the drug, or the fact that it is a DHT. Um, and and when I spoke to him about it in a bit more depth, he was saying he's he's never run a DHT actually at that level. Okay, interesting. So 
he's run masked at like 400. You know, he's normally run his primo around those numbers, but he's never run a DHT-based drug at 800 heading towards the grand mark of anything. So it may well be that people would have this. And, and it's not something you see. You don't generally see mass dose very, very high, but you see primo dose very high because primo is generally regarded as, or has this, this history of being regarded as a very mild drug and a drug that you can really hammer. Yeah. I think I, I found here was my personal experience. I had not used primo, um, for a long time. Like I, I started out experimenting with test test and D ball, you know, I went that route and I didn't find primo until several years later. I was finally like, yeah, I'm going to give this a go. I ran it. I believe it was 700 milligrams and I started breaking out. Like I really started breaking out and I backed it down and backed it down and backed it down. I found that if I'm going to run primo, I'll keep it lower three, 400 milligrams. But I don't think for me it's really that great. Like I feel like if you're a guy who has never touched anything and then you run a little test and you're like, hey, this is great, and then you add some Primo into it, I think that's a nice little boost. But for a guy who – this is my experience is that for a guy who's run test and trend, test and EQ, test and mass, test, trend, mass, you know, all that stuff, Primo is kind of on that milder side and going back to it, you you might not get as much out of it if you've already had like really high androgens in your body at other points. My experience. Yeah, I, I would have said that Primo definitely isn't comparable to the, the the more staple drugs that we we look at, like as you know, as Decker and Test and such like. Um, and it, it's definitely not renowned for being a huge mass builder. Yeah. It definitely favours the leaner physique. Um, uh, you, I, I mean, I've, I've heard anecdotally a lot of people complain that when their body fat was higher, that they felt they didn't really gain much from adding Primo, but when they were leaner, they felt it gave them a much better response. Mm. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, I mean, fat, fat has um, ARs, so you're going to leave some compounding fat tissue anyway. Uh, and obviously if results are subtle, they're not going to show as readily if you are a fat fuck. Whereas if you're nice and lean, any, any slight of body composition changes is going to stand out much, much more. Sure. Um, a, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you take too many paracetamol and you're going to have a serious problem. So however mild the drug is and however well tolerated a drug is, you start racking that up into astronomical doses and it will be start to become a problem. It's Did you just, say that in you're not English, paracetamol? Because we don't, we, us, we don't over here, we don't even, like, it's like you're speaking in French or something, Dave, okay? I'm going to be legit, I'm going to be real with you for a minute, okay? So what's the American needs for it then? Paracetamol, is that, what is that, Tylenol? Yeah, I think it will be. It's uh, painkiller. Acetaminophen. Is that different? You know, I don't actually know what the proper chemical name is for paracetamol. Huh. I don't. Yeah, I. I've, we talked about this before because I didn't know what it was. It's uh, a mild painkiller, over the, the counter. counter. Yeah. yeah. So we have aspirin, and we have you know, aspirin is. Uh, it's not. It's not ibuprofen. No. No, it's not. It's not. The paracetamol is mildly anti-inflammatory. It, it's it's generally not. We, 
as a as a medication, we commonly pair paracetamol with codeine. Oh, okay. We usually do Tylenol with codeine. So that I would guess that Tylenol would be, but Tylenol is a brand. Yeah. Tylenol yeah. and Panadol. Whereas paracetamol is a compound. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So low dose Primo, where would that be? Uh, who would benefit from a cycle of low dose Primo? Lena. Okay. Um, so, so it's the same so, so, thing as Tylenol. Yeah. Okay. So somebody who I would say low dose Primo is going to be much more effective on somebody who who's leaner. Uh, probably somebody who's not too heavily into their steroid usage. I think if you've got someone that's used to running a gram and a half, two gram of, of heavy whacking gear, they're, they're probably going to find Primo, Primo a waste of time. Yeah. Um, it's not, but obviously it's you're not going to feel the impacts of the drug in the same way you would if you were running a gram, of, you know, a gram of test or, you know, that sort of level of gear. So uh, at the end of the day, if you say to someone, run, run, run two, 250 mega test most people turn around and say well what's the point of that that's trt yeah so you know you've got to be realistic here if you're going to be running two 300 mega primo why are you expecting it to be hugely more impacting than you would if you ran two 300 mega tests you're not it's not gonna be yeah 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 i like that and and i think that's where sometimes people get a bit skew if you know it's like well i'm I'm running 300 mega primo and i don't feel anything of it well, okay do you feel anything of 300 mega tests well no not really i cruise on 250 well then you know what are you expecting so it's all relative really to to where a person's usage levels are and what their experience is how about um, a guy here'd be my thought here's a great scenario let's take a guy who he's never really run a cycle he's in his late 30s maybe his 40s he's he's gotten onto trt and he says yeah maybe i want to push this a little bit maybe i want to you know, take a, a few months and, and push a little harder. Add in 300 Primo, I bet you get something really sweet out of that, you know? Yeah, I, I can, I, and I think it, it it's probably, a, a if you're moving away from test only, then, then Primo would be, and you want to be very cautious, uh, Primo would probably be your best next choice yeah. for, for a drug that's got very low impact and, you know, generally has low impact on, on the body from a negative point of view. How about this? We had a listener who said, could you guys talk about um, solvents? For somebody who's going to run a higher dose, say 800 milligrams, whatever solvents happen to be in that compound are going to become more of a factor. Like if you're only taking one cc a week, two cc's maybe, the response that you get from those solvents isn't going to be as as impactful, I guess, as if you're running 800 milligrams of Primo, that could be eight you, milliliters, you know? Yeah, but don't you think that getting getting concerned about a solvent is is really a, a little bit, bit like having the nose, a nose the size of a jumbo jet and being concerned about the small spot under your left eye? <laughs> I guess it depends on the solvent and your response to it. Yeah, you know but, I mean... I mean if you're running grams of gear, the issues around solvent are, in in relative terms, quite minimal compared to the fact that you're running a few gram of gear and the impact of that gear itself is going to be heavy. Oh, sure, sure. 
I mean, I, I do find that as bodybuilders and users, well, not just bodybuilders, strongman or whatever, but we, we, we have this tendency to get so obsessed about details, we actually forget to step back and just think, well, hang on a minute. You know, um, I'm running three gram of gear and in that is 600 mega test, sorry, 600 mega trend, but I'm concerned about the solvent level in my drugs. Well, here's here's the thing. Okay? Whoa. <laughs> so I, I hear where you're coming from, but I, I had some personal experience where I was doing a contest prep and um, I kept getting what I felt was like a trend cough from all the gear I was using. And, um, and I, every, and I think I talked about this before, you know, post shot, I'd end up getting these terrible stomach pains, like real sharp stomach pains. And it was coming right into the show. I took a shot. I got that, I got that, that, that cough feeling like it felt aspirating through my lungs. And then later that night, I, it just leveled me. And I thought that it was just my response to gear. Now here's the thing is I had been using the same brand for a long time and I, whatever was in it, I think it was the solvent because no matter what I used, occasionally every two, three shots, I'd kind of get that taste and I'd get this reaction. I switched brands after that cycle and I realized it, I didn't figure it out until after I switched to something else. And then I yeah, said, but how Man, do you I, use that brand in previous cycles? Yeah. And I, it was something I kept getting over and over again right. and it was getting worse. And when I got like super lean and I was more just my body was more sensitive. It got to the point where it became crippling. And I just thought to myself, man, I'm just having bad response to gear anymore. But then I, when I switched brands after having used this stuff for a long time, it, I never got it again. I mean, it's something that most labs don't actually say anything about, about what solvent they use. Exactly, um, exactly. So it, it's very hard. And I suppose like anything, you, you will have people that are, for want of a better term, allergic to right. particular substances or sensitive to particular substances. I mean, look at niacin. You know, some people that can stick them in a bloody hospital. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, so I suppose there is that. But, I mean, most labs are, well, re relatively open about their carrier oil. Yeah. But, but I mean, the common the common solvent usually is uh, benzobenzoate. So um, would you consider EO a solvent? Not con I'd consider it more of a carrier oil, yeah. really, wouldn't you? Yeah. So I guess when I say solvents almost, I'm thinking carriers and solvents. You know? Well, that's a slightly different, yeah. I mean, because you do have a, 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 a wide range of carrier oils much more than you have a wide range of solvents. Most people, carrier oils, well, it could be anything from rapeseed, you know, um, even peanut oil. Um, Since we have a lot of newer cotton, people, cotton seed oil. can you explain to us what the difference is between like what a solvent is, what a carrier oil is? Well, basically, when you, when you manufacture gear, so when, when you, you make gear, you, you take a, a raw powder, which is the raw steroid powder that you're using, so that will be testosterone, uh, Nandrolone, and it will be the esterized firm, so it will be test sip or test nth or whatever it is. Now, you have to dissolve that powder and suspend it in a fluid in order to inject it. So the first thing that generally happens is it's mixed with a solvent, usually benzobenzoate, uh, and it's mixed with benzoalcohol. 
Now, the alcohol isn't in there for sterility. The alcohol is in there to maintain sterility once it's sterilized. Steroids are, 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 are sterilized by physical filtration. So the standard is a 0.22 micron filter. You pass the steroid through that, and that physically removes all the contaminants. And then the alcohol is in there just because you're going to be sticking a needle in that, taking it out and sticking it back in. And as a result, contaminants can then be introduced to the vial. So that's why the alcohol is in there. So in theory, with just the alcohol, a low-dose compound with heat should dissolve. Uh, but we add a solvent in to speed this process up and allow much higher levels of compound to be suspended in an oil. And so the, the solvent, the alcohol, and the raw powder are dissolved, generally used on a hot plate, but to be honest, to a degree, even a microwave would do the job. Yeah. Um, and then you add a carrier oil. And this is usually any organic oil that will flow through a needle, but the, the synthetics that um, can be used, and there's carrier oils, more advanced carriers that will allow you to to hold a much higher concentration of of, of of hormone. If you try and create very strong steroids, as in 400, 500 mg per mil, it's not easy to do. Uh, the biggest issue is that you've got to keep that powder dissolved and suspended in the carrier oil, and, and it can very often crash. And it looks, it goes almost like crystalline. So yeah. it looks like a crystallized. In fact, hang on, hang on. Dave's got some show and tell. I have. So that, as you can tell, is actually crashed. Don't inject that, people. If you have, if your vial looks like that, do not use it. And obviously, what it should look like is that. Just a fluid oil. Uh, I have a better example of it somewhere. Your, your oh, that's a really a little, good example. Your picture is a little choppy, but I'm taking your word for it. Okay. Well, if it cleans up, I'll show you this vial because this vial is really well wrapped. Um, so it goes into a crystal. Um, if, if you try and suspend too much or it starts to come out of solution, it becomes a very painful injection. Um, because you actually physically pass small, hard crystals through the needle into your body, and your body struggles to break those down. Yeah, that's um, nice. Often a crash product can be resuspended by applying heat, but not always. Uh, just because a product's crashed doesn't necessarily mean it's no good. Our picture cleared up. Uh, right, okay. So... Uh, if you look there, I'm trying to get it really close and get it to focus. It's not, you see, it's focusing on me, not focusing on the syringe. The uh, but yeah, sorry, the vial, yeah. But you can actually. You can see it's. Yeah. There you go. There's actual lumps and crystals in there. Yeah, you so can see it. Proper, yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's properly crashed, is it? Yeah, that's not good. And basically, that's what happens. The, the hormone separates from the carrier oil, and you end up with a fluid and the, the, the crystalline hormone. Yeah, and you can fix it generally, like you said, with heat. We get questions like that all the time. Hey, why is there crystals in my vial, you know? 
what you don't want to be doing is injecting it if there's any any sign of crystallization because like i said that will fucking hurt yeah and and the higher the concentration of hormones so if you genuinely inject something that's suspended 500 mg per mil that is going to hurt like a bitch yeah because high concentration of compound hurt they are very very painful to inject hey what's the uh url for eval Oh, the web page yeah, yeah. www.evalbloodanalysis or analysis.com is that three w's or four three okay just check in okay in that case guys the i've got a breaking news segment uh okay. which is sponsored to us by eval before we get into our questions one of our listeners uh matt marshall just sent me this so I don't have graphics to put up because this was last minute breaking news. That's how we roll. We have to get the shit out there to you. Uh, runner Shelby Houlihan banned four years after testing positive for anabolic steroids blames burrito. But Nandrolone. She blames the burrito. She says the only explanation is obviously that she had a burrito 10 hours before the testing that came from an authentic Mexican food truck. That's the obvious answer, Dave. That's yeah, because Decker's really used commonly in beef farming. <laughs> you know, it was trend. She might have had at least some argument. How about that? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I, she, I like the way she used the word obviously. Like, it was obviously the burrito, Dave. Oh, fucking hell. Huh, interesting. Okay. Full of shit is the term that springs to mind. Well, thank you, Matt. And uh, thank you, Eval, for uh, for bringing us that uh, that news brief. Uh, this is Scott feeling sorry for me because he, he rapes all the money we make, all, all $12 of it a year. Um, and so he's trying to sort of play it back a bit. You know? I do have a, a client that needs to come visit you. He lives almost near Scotland. He needs to he needs to go to the website and uh, fill uh, out. Almost near Scotland. That Now, on your geography, that could be anywhere from fucking Cornwall, <laughs> Portsmouth to London. Wouldn't surprise me if he lives in Spain. It's possible, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I do have a question here. Now, this is, this is from our Patreon, so that that legitimately does help to support the show. Thank you for that. He says um, he has a two part question for drugs and stuff. The question is about Anivar. I kind of like this one. My doctor says to take Anivar first thing in the morning on an empty stomach 30 minutes after having caffeine. He says that this will cause more of the drug. Uh, this will cause you to absorb more of the drug. What do you and Dave think about this? And then he goes on to say, um, if the above is true, the problem is that I train at 4 p.m., nine hours after first thing in the morning. Um, from the time I start eating in the morning, I never have an empty stomach. Is taking Anivar two hours before training with food better in this case? I was thinking of taking it first thing in the morning on non-training days and then taking it at 2 p.m. Uh, the other times when he does train. I partly agree with the doctor. Really? Hmm. I say that to make the show more interesting. Really? Um, so, anavirus fat soluble. 
Um, if you consume anavar while you're consuming food, it will uh, be absorbed by some of the fats in your diet, in your food, and the non-dietary fats that are passed through your system will take some anavar with it. So an empty stomach will improve or taking an anavar with healthy fats, something like fish oils, will also improve its absorption. However, I don't agree, and he's quite right in pointing out that he trains nine hours afterwards and anavar doesn't have a particularly long half-life. Um, so as a result, you are going to see a reduction in the available dose uh, at that point. Now, Anavar used, or any oral actually, Debo, Oxys, used as a pre-workout can and does increase performance in the gym. Um, but I don't think you'll find there's any net gain from a point of view of its effect on muscle building in that way, in its anabolic effect. Yeah. But you will find a, a, a slight increase in performance and you will find an increase in pumps when you train. Um now, empty stomach, you've got to remember that your stomach actually empties quite frequently and is empty quite often. It's your, your digestive system, as in your bowel, your gut, that has always got food in it. So the fact that if you're probably, I'd have said, an hour or two hours post-food, then you're going to have very minimal impact on the digestion or the absorption of the anavar um, at that point. And I'd probably look for most people about an hour before a workout works quite well from getting the benefit of the drug in that actual workout. But it's not a necessity. Um, I mean, if you take it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, bear in mind you'll have to wait an hour post-taking the, the orals before you can consider eating, um, you'll still get plenty of benefit from it. Yeah. Um, now, how much does this empty stomach versus eating with food impact the absorption? I honestly can't say because I don't know. Uh, and I would suspect that, say, if you took it with something like a, a salmon meal, you'd probably find that your absorption would be quite good. Whereas yeah. opposed, if you took, took it with something like a McDonald's, <laughs> you'd probably find your absorption is quite poor. Yeah, and I was going to say, if it was like a lot of fat, I think that that could even yeah. cause an issue. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, though it, there is impact there, I wouldn't get overly hung up on it. There are probably much bigger things in what you do that are having an impact on your development and growth Yeah. Uh, rather than, you know, how specific you are about your end of our timing. Um, there may be a study out there. I know there's been some studies on, on, on oral dosing and, and absorption and such like, so there's probably a study out there that will we'll cover it. Uh, but I can't off the top of my head remember anything specific. You know, when I take my Anivar... All the time. When I remember. Yeah, usually in the bloody show. Yeah, yeah. My doctor uh, prescribed me 25 milligrams. And I take that. For what? For my recovery. Of what? COVID. I almost, I, I, did you notice how I stopped? I have to edit myself because I'm like, I, I'm careful because I don't want to get things demonetized. Then I remember. I'm like, oh, <laughs> What shit. do you mean? We've got nothing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> monetized anyway. <laughs> so I kind of edited myself there. I almost didn't say the C word. Yeah. Yeah.
We'll see how it goes. I'm taking that and I'm taking Singular, which is uh, it reduces lung inflammation. And dude, it's a good combo. Like I feel like I'm able to breathe finally. Just go for a run. You... Well, I couldn't before, Dave. I couldn't before. Mm. Well, and if you die, you die. I mean, it's been nice knowing you, but you know. The show's got to end sometime. You and Christmas Cabbage can go on. By the way, where is the cabbage? I don't see him today. He's, he's here. He's, he's, he's sat over here. He's, oh, there he is. Uh, he's, he's good. We've had people, like there was somebody who was like, I really liked the show, but I was a little disappointed. I had to wait two minutes and 45 seconds before seeing Christmas Cabbage. We're going to get a lot of negative comments on this one because we're like a half hour in. Well, he's, you know, it, it's been sunny and he's been out sunbathing and, and enjoying himself in the greenery. I mean, at the end of the day, he is a plant. He does need sunlight. You know, he's not going to grow into a big cabbage if he doesn't get plenty of sunlight. How about, uh, let's see what we got here. Digging around. Anyway, I believe Christmas Cabbage had a guest appearance on another show. <laughs> um, he wasn't on. Wait, what show was that? You mean a mention? Somebody mentioned him? No, I believe he... Well, yes, but I believe... Didn't he make a guest appearance um, on screen in another show? No, that was our intro. I thought he appeared on, on the Fouad show or something. No, no, no. Somebody mentioned Christmas Cabbage on the episode with Fouad. In ah. fact, it, it wasn't a nice message. The guy was like, I don't like Fouad, but I'm commenting... To help the algorithm because I am a Christmas cabbage fan. It was something like it was meaner than that, though. Our, the cabbage fans are brutal, dude. Like flat out. This is that comment, by the way. Great show, except I had to wait 2.5 minutes before Christmas cabbage made his appearance. I'm just here for the cabbage. So, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> So are we. He's he's been a bit slack on his Instagram. He does apologise. Um, he he he's just he's all newest technology to him, and he's 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 a bit he's a bit conscious of the fact that he has to take pictures of himself for Instagram. Understood, understood. So, but he's he's going to try and be a bit more productive with his Instagram account. He does apologise. All right, let's see what we got here for questions. Thanks for answering my question on subs. I'm also a fan of cheesecake supplementation. My question for Dave is, uh, do any of his previous gym injuries still give him issues? And with hindsight, could he have prevented any? Mm. Interesting question. Yeah. Uh, So my left pet detachment obviously does create problems from the point of view of a weakness on that side when i was full full bore training my left delt very much compensated for that and it wasn't particularly an issue apart from some tightness since i back right off and obviously don't train anywhere near as intensely the actual imbalance is more pronounced so I am having, and as a result, I am having a few niggles in my left shoulder and a bit of tightness in my left shoulder. Mm. Um, the compacted discs in my back aren't all training related. They're uh, an accident 
issue as well. But yeah, they do cause some problems. Um, so the arthritis in my feet is more due to my previous weight and, and there's some genetics in there, there's some heredity bits in there as well. So most of my injuries don't haven't caused me any long-standing issues. The biggest impact on my training would have been the back injury, which I actually got when I got crushed by a, a full-size Chevy falling on top of me. A falling? Uh, Did you say falling? Yeah, I was under, yeah, I was underneath it, and the jack stands gave go, and the, the full-size landed on me. Oh, shit, dude. And it, it was... Um, oh, that's uh, 15, 16, 17... 17, 18 years ago now. I have to imagine if you were a smaller person, that might have just squished you. Hmm? We've been together 10. Yeah, it's about, about 17 years ago. Um, well, basically, it was a low rider, uh, and we'd edit it out, um, and we were fit the six link, and I was underneath. The jack stands let go because all the air was out of it because we were swapping the four link to a six link. Uh, the truck fell on me, across my back, crushed me, and the, the rest is history, so to speak. Holy but part, you... part of the carry-off from that injury, apart from damaging two discs in my back, was that my glutes stopped activating. Oh. Um, so I went back into training, did everything I did, and I, whenever I tried to go over 300 kilo um, squatting, I had the strength to do it, but I would end up getting injuries um, in my quads, quite often tears, quite often issues with my left IT band. And it was just because the muscular balance was so out between my quads and my glutes um, that uh, when I started to try and go proper heavy in the squat, it would cause me problems. The other offset from that was my lower core stopped activating as well. Okay. So my core strength and support came from my lower back and came from my psoas. As a result, my psoas overdeveloped massively. Um, and that then started to pinch my femoral nerve. So I used to, and still get a couple of twinges now again from my femoral nerve getting pinched by my psoas. My glutes still don't fire correctly. My core still doesn't fire correctly. Um, and it probably never will. Um, but yeah, so... Probably the biggest impact on my training from injury is actually a non-training related injury. Huh, okay. Um, I mean, otherwise, the only one that really does have a residual is the, 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 the pec detachment. But apart from that, most of my other injuries have not caused me any long-term issues. And there's quite a list as well. <laughs> Dude, if you've been doing it a long time, you know what I mean? We've, everybody who's trained for a long time has got a list, right? Yeah, I think there's – well, last time I added it all up, and I've, I've forgotten. I've genuinely actually forgotten quite a few of my injuries. I think there was 22 muscle tears. Oh, God. oh my God. In total. Huh. So I, I'll uh, tell you the one thing I, I would say that I've learned was after having strained my lower back repeatedly, 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 it was discovering that my glutes were the weak link. And hmm. by strengthening my glutes – uh, and, and I did it for aesthetic purposes because my my glutes were never had enough muscle that when I got absolutely peeled that they had that like shredded glute look that you wanted. So I said, OK, I'm going to make this a priority. Uh, and it turned out 
my glutes started firing and that protect my lower back. So it's carried over to helping me with movements like bent over barbell rows, obviously squatting, anything where I need to uh, hold and support my lower back. Glute activation has been a game changer because before with them not activating, it was my lumbars just flexing. And then eventually after seven reps, they would, uh, something would get strained. Yeah. I mean, um, in my experience, a lot of people back issues, uh, and that they, they say, Oh, I've got a weak back. They don't have a weak back at all. And it's just that the back is getting overworked Exactly, and they, they have weak core or they have overly tight glutes or they have overly tight hamstrings and load is getting transferred into the back all the time because they don't have the flexibility or the the surrounding muscle support to, to actually support their physiques properly yeah that's i i don't think as yet i've met anybody that has a genuinely weak back it, it's always that the back is overworked yep i would agree i wish um, i learned that sooner yeah and i mean and, you know, my pre, pre-injury, pre my glutes fired phenomenally well. I mean, I had a big ass, you know. <laughs> um, and post-injury, I, I didn't – the thing is, I never even realized. I didn't even – and because it wasn't impacting my training, I was still squatting heavy. I was still going strong. It, it didn't – and it was only when I started going over, like I said, when I started going over seven-point squats that, that I started to keep – every time I went over, every time I went to 300 kilo, I'd pick up an injury. And it's like, but I'm, I can do this for sets of eight. Why is it every time I go over this sixth, seventh rep, I get an injury? Yeah. And it was just because of the imbalance and, and my glutes just – and by that point, the problem was my quads were so strong that it was really difficult to pull back enough to get my glutes to fire properly in a compound movement because my quads would just take over all the time or my hamstrings would just take over all the time. Yeah. All right, we got a bunch of them, so I'll rapid fire here. Proviron, okay. can it be used uh, year-round without the diminishing mental effects? I don't know what he means by mental. Well, Proviron is going to increase free tests, so in in turn it should increase DHT, which is probably where people are sort of saying they feel a bit more positive mentally, but... Mm. The the effects will diminish because your new experience will become your standard. Yes, you you get used to anything after a while. Yeah, right? yeah. it's not that it's not doing anything. It's not that there's still not things happening. It, it's it's just that you get so adapted to that that you, you think it's normal. Yeah. You know, drive a Ferrari for six years and then get in a Mini and see how you feel. Dude, that's a great analogy. Although I do think driving a Mini is definitely pleasant. It's nice. It's got some <laughs> yeah, but pickups. that's it. You 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 love your Mini. Yeah. But if I gave you, I don't know, uh, a Bentley. Yeah. Um. You know, I said, right, run that for six years, and then I said, right, now you've got to get back in a Mini. That'd be the shittiest car on the planet. It's because you've got so used to the other vehicle. It's like you, if you go to a, a you know, Mini is, uh, if you take my, if I take my car in, they give me a loaner, and the loaner they give you is always the top of the line, all the best packages. It, you and then you get your car back. I love my car, but then I get back in my car and I'm like, oh man, this is a piece of shit. I want the all the features, you know. My I um my car broke um not short shortly after I got it actually. Um uh, somebody ran up the arse end. Oh. And they gave me 
they had a load of problems getting the part. Um, so to sort of compensate for that, they gave me what they call an experience car. Yeah. Which is basically that. It's it's loaded to the hill. <laughs> right. And, and this thing, they, it had cooled seats. It had massage seats. It had autonomous drive. It had so oh, much man. kit on the heads-up display. It had so much kit on it. And the thing is, I loved my new car. Yeah. Until I had to get back in it after having this. And it was like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. drive itself anymore. <laughs> All right. What's up, guys? Quick question for you. I recently came across a bottle of T&E for the first time. I'm familiar with all the other forms and esters of test, and they all have been odorless. This T&E, however has an overpowering smell of something like bacon grease. Uh, could that be lard? As I've understood it, lard used to be used uh, as a mixing oil, but grape and flax uh, are what have taken over. Um, what could be the reason why lard would be used in a suspension solution? Thanks, guys. Dave, have you ever made gear out of the bacon grease that you cooked in the morning? No. Yeah, not me either. But I just was wondering if I was missing something, like I wasn't doing something I should have been as a bodybuilder. You know something? I haven't got a fucking clue. <laughs> I've never heard of it smelling like bacon. I, I, I haven't got a Scooby. I really haven't got a clue. Did you um, say a Scooby? No idea. I am very, very sorry, Jordan, that we can't help you, but you've lost me on this one. I have heard of T&E being used with, like, EO, and that's got a very distinct smell. Or um, oh, what's that other stuff that people use for – there's another – there's some funky well, solvents. Like, yeah, but, I mean – so lard, let's just look at lard. Lard is a solid at room temperature. Yeah, I think he's way off. I don't think it's lard. I don't uh, think it's so, lard. You know, I think it's, it's something like, else, you know. I, I haven't got a clue. I, I really haven't got a clue. Hopefully there's somebody that watches this crap that we put out. I mean, this this high-quality professional Comment. show that we create. Yeah, you guys tell us. We got all the... Uh, all the, the drugs and stuff druggies. You guys know the answer to this one. Druggies, that's probably a good name for them. <laughs> you guys tell us. Cabbage heads and druggies. Yeah, you guys tell us what the answer to that one is. Um, we've got a 43-year-old here, um, 10 years into cycling, just did a little body fat shedding, ran 200 tests for four weeks, and add uh, mast E. It's only two weeks now. Um and I'm ready to add NPP to grow. Should I drop the mast for now or just add the NPP? Here's his cycle. Or he's currently taking 600 tests, 400 mast. The NPP would be 300. I I think that's a nice little cycle, personally. I'd possibly run the, 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 the doses a little bit differently, but uh, as a combination of drugs, I quite like test, mast, and NPP. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. But he's, yeah. he is shifting gears to grow now. Does he need the mask yeah, to grow? Yeah, so I, I, yeah, but, you know, I mean, for me, I'd, I'd drop the test down, bring the MPP up a little bit higher, keep the mask as is, and I, th I think that will be a very nice combination. All right, all right. Um, okay. Ooh, I, man, one of my favorite exotic compounds that I 
hardly touch. Can you discuss Halo? When, how, dosing, etc. Thank you. Did we do this the other week? I thought we did this the other week when we were talking about, you know, 20, 30 meg as being the sort of uh, even less in some cases. Yeah, I guess we did, didn't we? I think we did a whole. Um, I think we did a whole steroid profile on Halo, as a matter of fact. And um, dosing wise, personally, I'd save it for pre comp, um, and for that's sure. bodybuilding or, or powerlifting. Um, I'd stay. I'd save it for pre comp. Um, run it in the last couple of weeks, maybe stretch it to three at a push if you really wanted to. But um, I, I, it would be short and sweet, in, in my opinion. All right. Uh, and probably lower the better. What is the reason for users dosing GH pre-workout? Isn't carbs with GH a bad idea? Well, GH effect will be blunted if you have an insulin spike at exactly the same time, but complementary of this spaced apart to some degree. Uh, GH pre-workout, I think for most, is use because of the the sensation or the increased pumps that you're going to get with gh um rather than any real sort of impact on on muscular response dr eric serrano john meadows doctor he did a video a while back and he said um if muscle gain is your goal take your growth hormone pre-workout assuming you're taking a lower dose two three units uh, if you wanted to focus on fat loss first thing in the morning before your cardio, he said for somebody who was doing like more rejuvenation, I think he said first thing in the morning, but I think, you know what, as long as you take it, it's not, that's the key. Just get it in every day. Right. Uh, it'd be interesting to know his reasoning behind why he thinks pre-workout. Yeah, I, I didn't, he didn't explain that. He just said from what the research is that he's done. He thought pre-workout was the best time for muscle growth. See, I'm not, I'm not particularly hammered on GH for muscle growth. Full stop. Uh, recovery agent, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't fat think loss you... agent, yeah. Again, definitely, but I don't see it. I don't see the cost equating to added value when it comes to the results. Sure, I think it could be argued. And I don't know the reasoning either, but let's say it it improved your recovery by you know, obviously GH improves your recovery. And let's say taking it pre-workout was the best time to improve your recovery from training. That mm -hmm. in itself would be a benefit toward muscle growth. Not like taking 30 milligrams of 50 milligrams of D-ball would though, right? David, yeah, but sir, question. sir, sir, David, sir. David, question in the back, behind the cabbage. Okay, thank you, sir. So does that mean that you weren't recovering prior to taking growth? So you spent all this time not recovering and your training frequency has been wrong for the God knows how many years prior to using growth in this way? We all have different see, recoverability. I agree, but I only see a benefit to this if you exploit it by increasing the frequency of your training. I don't think so. I think that we all See, have different you, recoverability. And just because you go back into train legs again in four days or whatever, doesn't mean that you couldn't have recovered better from the, the previous bout. 
But if you weren't recovering, you wouldn't be growing anyway because you need to recover to grow. So I don't see – I get your point, but I just don't see there being a carry-off there unless you exploit increased recovery by increasing the frequency at which you train. Otherwise, what you're saying is that I need an extra agent to help me recover because I'm not recovering from my workouts. So – if you've not recovered from your workouts, why the fuck are you training that way? In the I don't think place? it's black and white. I don't think it's yes, you've recovered or no, you haven't. I think if there's a spectrum. Yeah, yeah. We're about I, sliding scale. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I, um, um, I, I, I do get that, and I, I would agree with that. I just think that the impact for anyone who's fairly switched on with their training is not going to be huge. And what they're going to actually see in real life is more fullness and more water within the muscle, which is going to make them feel that they're growing and, and getting a better response. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be the difference of let's take D ball at 50 milligrams or a hundred, you know no, what I mean? Like exactly. that's, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say a hundred mega test extra a week is probably going to yeah. have a greater impact on your growth than, than doing GH in that way. And when you look at that from a cost perspective, it's like, I know which way I'm fucking going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then it's I'm a tight ass and don't like spending money. Yeah. It's definitely not going to, I agree with you. It's not going to be the, uh, the fountain of youth that it's, that it's, it was thought to be in the nineties. GH has lots of benefits. There's, there's not getting away from that. I just don't think using it as a growth agent is particularly one of them. Um, You're just salty it, because you spent so much money on it. I did spend a lot of money on growth. Yes. Uh, fuck it, I spent a lot of money on growth. A painfully large amount that I do not want to remember. Thanks, Scott. You just ruined my day. Horrible little bastard, yeah. Um, but yes, I have run ridiculously high levels of growth. Um and I was incredibly disappointed because, like many before me, I, I truly believe Jay Cutler when he said the only limit to growth hormone and muscle growth is how much you can afford to take. I tested that theory, and it was bullshit. Ooh, I got a cool comment here. Matt uh, owns a mini. How about that? Shout out to shout out to Matt, and shout out to everybody who owns a mini. Right, you only own a mini if it's a classic mini you don't think if you own a modern mini you own a fucking bmw so i can walk around telling everybody i own a bmw you can so yeah i mean technically i do yeah it's a girl's bmw but it's a bmw (laughs) (laughs) all right question uh what would both of you change when starting aas higher doses lower doses gh nothing nothing yeah nothing you gotta learn. Uh, no, I. You probably I wouldn't have spent that these, much on growth. I, well, yeah, but then I wouldn't have learned what I learned about it. So sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always struggle with these sort of questions because the experiences I had led to where I got to and the knowledge I gained and everything else. And though my early steroid use was fucking stupid, and there's no other way you could describe it. Um, that was a learning curve in in, in its own right. Um, yeah. I, I had no compound knowledge for my first four years of usage. None. 
Okay. I didn't even know steroids shut you down. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even know what shutdown was. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't mm. know anything about PCT. I didn't know what a PCT was. Um, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. And I learned nothing in those four years from a point of view of the how the drugs worked and what they did. I just knew I took that and then I grew. Um, so really, my first four years of usage, first four years of usage was was ridiculous. But at the same time, because of that complete lack of knowledge around drugs, I actually learned a lot about training. Yeah, that's important. So if I did learn more about drugs initially, I'd have probably been a much more drug fixated and much less training fixated. Whereas my approach to my early usage was, all right, mate, What's good? Well, I've got this in the moment. This is decent. Right, I'll take a little bit of that then. Cheers. See you later. Uh, and, and all my focus was on training. How could I train harder? How could I train more effectively? Yeah. Who could I train with? Who could I leech information from when it came to training? Uh, and I never pursued drug knowledge because I, I didn't see it as a priority. I saw training as a priority um, and drugs and diet were sort of things you stuck in to help. Um, I mean, my dieting knowledge was was absolute garbage. Um, it's not amazing now compared to you know a lot of no, but I mean compared to a lot of people in this industry, you know, I, I'm I'm quite basic with my diet approach. It, it's it's quite simple. Um, it works, but I just don't overcomplicate it. And there are there are plenty of people out there that have much more nutritional knowledge than myself, uh, a much more in depth understanding of nutrition than myself. But training was where I invested my time um, and my energy and my learning. And, I, you know, if I'd have been probably more drug conscious, I probably wouldn't have been as training conscious. So for every negative that I experienced, there was a positive that came from that in one way or another. So it's a difficult one, but it may have helped if I'd actually done a cycle. instead, I just went on for four years. Mm, yeah, it's a long cycle, four years. I, I spent years thinking EQ was a fast-acting compound. <laughs> you did the Johnson and, and stuff podcast for a very long time, a, a scarily long time. It, it was one of the, the the bits of information that I picked up, and I was actually—I won't name the gentleman, but I was actually told that by a pro, mm. um, which is probably even more scary. Uh, and I—I I thought that was the case for donkey's years, absolute mm. donkey's years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know the first thing about what these drugs did in the body. I just knew that if I took it, it helped me grow and it meant I could train harder and that's all I was interested in. So I took it so I could train harder. All right. We'll try to rip through a couple more here, guys. We aren't going to be able to get to all of them. And I didn't like go through and hand pick everything. I just grabbed all the questions we had. And if we didn't get your question on, please post it again. Any questions you guys have, comment below on the show. By the way, we appreciate all your feedback and everything. You guys are really helping to to boost the show up and the algorithm and all that. Um, hoping you guys can advise on post-injection pain. Most compounds give me terrible PIP to the point where I can't function. Is there any way... Anything I can do to help minimize this? Microdosing would potentially be one way. 
looking into what solvent and what carrier oils the the brands you are using um uh, could potentially be part of it uh, i mean unfortunately some people are just sensitive to certain compounds but usually it's one or two compounds it's not across the board i mean i'm very sensitive to test i can't take test prop at all fucking oh painful painful shit i remember you saying um that yeah but uh so i'd look at the the brands you're using uh try and find out what their carriers are uh, and have a look at different carriers um I know Richard was had some somebody um, who was very very similar. Everything he took, he got big PIP swells and, and lumps and, and stuff. Um, and it was it was all down to the carrier oils, and they ended up finding somebody who was making it with a bit of a weird and unusual one, and actually he tolerates that really really well. Huh, okay. So I would suspect that it's one of the additives that's irritating you. Yeah. In the short term, antihistamines would potentially help. Mycodosing would potentially help. And if you have a compound that you do tolerate, then, and I'm not suggesting that you do it literally for this reason, but you, if you're running that compound, you could always dilute the compound that's giving you some grief into the compound that doesn't give you grief, and yeah. that will actually help it to some degree. Yeah, I've had that with, like, Maybe I had a, a particular lab that their test was real painful and I had some EQ that was pain free. Then I'd mix that with the EQ in the shot, you know, and then I'm running a test EQ cycle and the less painful compound helped that out. Um, mm -hmm. I you got to remember, too, that you're that you're injecting this deep depot into the muscle a little bit of kind of massaging that or walking or like if you take a glute shot and you go straight to bed, I think that you're more likely to have a lump than if you were to take it and then walk around and kind of get the blood circulating. I mean, it may not help this guy in particular, or it might, you know, also, I don't know what his experience level is, but if you're new to doing injections and you're moving that needle around a lot, the more you move that, the, the, the more irritation you're going to end up with 24 hours later. But there is there is potential that it, it's down to injection technique or it's being worsened by injection technique, definitely. Sure. Yeah. I, I know someone who used to swear by sighting and then training the, yeah. the muscle he's injected into. So all these shots would be uh, done um, prior to training that muscle part in that muscle. Yeah. Um. All right, I'm gonna bring this one up. I don't. I don't I, we've gotten this topic before. Um, let me see if I can find it. And then we've got a couple that are on the live feed. We'll see if we can tackle, and then we'll get out of here. Um, where the heck is it? It's uh, an appetite suppressant that vigorous Steve sells. I think. Um, here it is. I, I haven't heard of this. I think I asked you off air before. I don't even know how to say that. Uh, isn't that, that that's the diabetic thing, isn't it? Is it? I thought I thought yeah. vigorous Steve. Whoops! I thought vigorous Steve might have a formula for this or something. Um, I'm I sure just that's the diabetic med. Absolutely kills your appetite. Does it really? Yeah, it's supposed to be really good. I've, I've someone offered it me, um, but. I decided not to bother with it, so I haven't personally tried it. Um, but I believe it's really good. 
Yeah. Um, I believe it's very, very effective. Have you found anything else that has helped with appetite suppressant? I've found that uh, ECA or just ephedrine on its own has an appetite suppressing effect. Stims will generally blunt your appetite. Caffeine will blunt your appetite. High yeah. water intake can blunt your appetite. And there's this 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 even just simply being busy. Yeah, yeah. You know, we appetite or being hungry is often as much a mental game as it is a physical thing. Um, and if you occupy your mind with other things you tend not to really focus on the fact that you're hungry and then it doesn't become an issue. Yeah, I agree with that. Don't focus on it. The other thing is if you're dieting and you're having problems with hunger is to actually start to look at the hunger as a positive. I do that too, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you start to associate hunger with fat loss. Yeah. You know, I'm hungry. I'm losing fat. So uh, I want to be hungry. And then you welcome hunger rather than have an issue with it, so to speak. In fact, if I'm not hungry, I start getting concerned I'm not in it where I need to be, you know? Yeah. I don't know what this is either. What does Dave think of the Birkin formula? Is that accurate? The Birkin formula? You know what that is? Is that the coles- is that the um I'm gonna cheat now. I'm gonna use my phone. Um I wanna make sure I'm right. Um I think I am. Uh, I'm sure that's the vitamin C and lysine protocol for cholesterol. If it's not, I'm going to start a right dick now. I have the Beckham formula. So the formula is as follow body weight in kilograms at. Oh, I never heard of this. I thought it was something else. Is it about. Is it a formula for getting lean? The Martin Beckham model for maximum muscular, it's a formula for predetermined muscular development. Okay, what does that mean? Um, so you take your body weight in kilogram at a shredded state, which they say, for example, is 4 to 6%. Um, and then you do something with height, and it gives you your body weight potential or what your genetic potential would be. Hmm. Um the, 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 I don't know it. I'm not familiar with it. I actually thought it was something completely different, so that shows how much I know about it. However, just reading that brief overview that I found online, um, it, it says in a shredded state. Now, that is very open-ended as to what you would regard as a shredded state. It says 4 to 6%. Um, and unless you're... Yeah, so I mean, by whose standard? Four to six percent on a caliper, four to six percent on a DEXA scan, or four to six percent because that's what you think you are because your mate was eight and you're leaner than him. <laughs> Dude, I'm two percent. No question, bro. I'm shredded. Exactly. You know, I'm ten. So, so you're you're actually negative percent yeah. if I'm ten. <laughs> right, right. Because I am so much fatter than you. Uh, so. I, <sighs> You know, there's so many aspects that fall into genetics when it comes to training yeah. and growth. And it's not just about the genetics for muscle growth. It's the genetics for adherence to diet. It's the genetics for intensity in the gym. 
um, mindset, goals, all those sort of aspects of how we mentally approach, not just how we physically recover yeah. or, or how we absorb protein and all those sort of things. So uh, I'm not, even though I know little about it, I'm not expecting much promise from the, the short look we've had at it. Okay. Okay. I've got one more thing and we'll get out of here. Uh, now we talked a little bit about U UFOs on the last episode of alien abductions. Uh, and, and I know Dave, we're, this is going to segue into something else, but the actual question is, uh, actually it's not even a question. It was just a statement by Victor. He says, we have crazy amounts of UFO sightings in Sweden right now. Been for a year. Every night, my town gets flooded follows me when i'm out uh at night doing cardio it's fucking crazy small town no military drones so we we actually had gotten other feedback too because we talked about alien abductions now dave you told video me, i want to see video yeah, send us video. We'll post yeah, just, it. i need i need evidence so dave i asked dave before the show he doesn't have any alien stories but he does have ghost stories so to finish the show today. Well, unless you count my exes, some of my exes you could regard as alien, I suppose. We get a ghost story from Dave. I've got a couple. Which ones do you want? I've got three, actually. I have two. What are our topics? And I'll pick. What are the scenarios? So I've a ghost story of. Um, an experience in a building where I sensed something that supposedly wasn't there and later found out there was someone who was killed at that exact spot. Um, I've two physical experiences. Um, okay. Let's well, hear actually, physical. no. I have one physical experience and my wife has one physical experience that she's told me about, both All in right. the same house. So. You tell me, the what was your, what did you physically experience? Um, so I was laid on the bed. Um, and well, actually, it's two. So I was laid on the bed, and I had, I was facing the centre of my bed. My wife was laid next to me, so my arse is facing the edge of the bed. Uh, had my eyes closed, and I felt the bed depress at the back of my arse, like someone had sat on the bed. It was very, very pronounced. Did you get very spooned? Physical. Did you get spooned by a ghost? No, no, no. Hang on. And I thought it was, was sharpest about. So the depression then moved up slightly behind my back, and then I felt something blowing my ear. At this, point, I at this point, I opened my eyes, expecting my wife to be hanging over me, laughing her fucking head off, and she was asleep in front of me. You're kidding me. And at that point, everything disappeared. The second experience, um, I've actually got to give you more context to all this. So this was all in this same house, and this house was over 350 years old. Yeah. And somebody had been killed in the house, and it had been a jailhouse, and it had been a schoolhouse at previous points in its life. Oh, shit. Um, so um, the other scenario was same bed, same room, same house. I was pinned to the bed. I was face down. I was awake. I couldn't move. I couldn't get up. Um, I felt a very heavy pressure on my back. And then I literally just said out loud in a voice, get the fuck off me. Stop pissing about. And all of a sudden it went. 
Now, I know that can be what they call a, a form of sleep paralysis. I've heard of that. And yeah. it may be that there may be that me saying something that broke that that sort of psychological hold it had. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I can only tell you what I experienced. Um, the third one was one that happened to my wife. So I'd gone out with a dog and I'm coming back and my wife is running hell for leather down the lane towards me. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? And she said, now what we had, when you came out of the kitchen, there was a door that went down into an old cellar. Um, when the house was a uh, school, they used to prepare meals down in the cellar. And there was also a jail cell down in the cellar. Um, and she said she was stood by that door and she physically saw the door handle turning and twisting. It was one of the round knob door handles. And she yeah. physically saw it twisting like and turning. out of a movie. So she shit herself and literally ran out of the house. Um, we, we, we used to feel every time you went in the cellar, you felt like you were under somebody's feet and it wasn't scary, but you just felt like you were in the way. Is this the cellar that from was from under construction where you did? The- it is the same okay. cellar. Yeah. Yeah. That, that it room is, is creepy as shit, dude. It is the same cellar. There's four rooms down there. That's just one of them. Yeah. That's um, creepy as shit, dude. That looks like, that looks like it's from a crypt or something. Um, I would not go down so- there. Not even during we the had, day. We had loads of shit go on. Things would go missing, then turn up. And, and you just didn't think of... Uh, my wife always said that she she could hear kids running around. I say it used to be a school. Um, and then there was... She didn't like the landing on the second floor. So the house was a two-story building, but the loft had been converted into a bedroom, which is where our bedroom was. On the second floor, there was a landing, and she said she always felt uncomfortable there. So... I did, it never really bothered me that much. I just sort of took it in my stride because I'm I'm quite. It doesn't really, you know. I'm not. A, it's not that I don't believe in ghosts at all because I do, but I just. It's like it's just part of life, sort of thing. It doesn't really bother me. Okay. Um, anyway, she went. We lived opposite an old church, uh, and she went to the church and spoke to the vicar and actually said to the priest, "Could you come to the house and bless it? Because I think it's haunted." Yeah. And the, the priest turned around and went, yeah, fine. And like it was something he did every day. He didn't look at it like she was a nutter or, you know, question her in any way. He just went, yeah, that's not a problem. I'll, I'll get my stuff and I'll be over whatever day it was he was coming. Yeah, after my other exorcism. Up, yeah, so he turned up on this day and he's wandering around the house and it's, it's bless you, bless this, move on to the, the other plane and all this sort of stuff until he gets to the landing. And when he gets to this landing, everything changes. And he's not talking about blessing and moving on to the, you know, the afterlife and all. He starts talking about protecting me from evil and get out the devil and all this sort of shit. Uh, his, his whole, all the prayers he was saying changed to be very go away evil, protect me from evil, where previously it was all look, shuttle off into the afterlife, nice yeah. people, and be gone. You shouldn't be here anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it all changed. And I know when I threw my back out um, and I was uh, very physically, you know, I was crawling around, couldn't stand, couldn't walk probably because my back was so bad, the activity level increased in the house. Okay. Uh, and, and very much felt aggressive and felt male. Um, and like I said, the priest definitely changed when he got to this middle floor. He didn't explain it. He didn't go okay. into any more detail, but it was just a, a definite change in 
how he was a pro- and as soon as he moved away from that area he went back to the bless this house and you know move on people you're wow. done here so now where that landing is is where somebody got shot so historically in the, we had um, what they call the luddites uh, and basically it was workers that were going around smashing up machines because they were taking their jobs oh okay and in that period of, of there being some industrial rioting, um, someone on that landing was shot through a window from outside. Holy crap. And this is, this is like in the 1800s. You know, this is donkey's years ago. It's not a modern thing. Yeah. Um, and then the building, the church opposite, next to the church was an old monk's brewery. Um, and our property was used as a jailhouse for the town at that point to hold, because obviously everything evolved around the church back then. So yeah. the church was the central hub of society in the village. And, and that's why it had a jail cell in the, in the bay, in the cellars, because it was used to hold criminals or people that had done wrong. Is and I don't think there? we're talking serious criminals. I'm talking, you know, maybe he nicked his neighbor's chicken or something. But Is that it, still there? Is there still a cell in the basement? There's a cell, but not a cell door. But there is a cell room with a little little candle holding area, and Dude, yes, that's still there. Will you do us the show a huge favor between now and the time that we put this out? Will you shoot me like a little video of that and send me that? I'm not in that property anymore. Oh, I, I thought that it. was your current house. Never mind. Never. No, mind. no, that was the not the last house. The house before that. I was going to get the video uh, and put it on the show uh, while we were. No, talking. that's that's, but. When you see the scene in UC2 where the guy's making the gear, yeah, yeah, that was shot in that cellar. That and that cellar, dude, it is creepy. It's funny because I was watching that and I was looking at the comments, and people were like, you know, where the hell are you guys filming this? You're trying to make it look really dramatic in like going into some sort of like crypt, you know, to, to make gear. Something like like they like they were, but you were just in your basement. Yeah, I was just in my basement, and it was just for convenience. So we yeah. arranged for the guy uh, to come and see us. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously, I couldn't say it was my house at that time, but we arranged for the guy to come and see us. And the only place we had that was private and out of the way that because we were very concerned about there being any criminal interest, not criminal, but police interest in the fact that we had someone showing us how to make gear. Yeah, sure. Um, so we wanted to put it in somewhere that was not identifiable. So there was, it couldn't be in my living room or in my own kitchen. It had to be somewhere. So we, I pinched a microwave and took it downstairs into the basement <laughs> the cellar. And uh, he he came to the house and came downstairs and showed us what to do it. And then he fucked off. I'll uh, I'll get some we, footage we of that and put that we, in here. We couldn't get we couldn't get into a genuine lab to to film. They wouldn't let us in. So the only thing the compromise was they'd come to us and show us how it was done. Yeah, I've tried to, man. I tried to get it over. I was going to travel even to Eastern Europe if they would let me in, but it, it's a. I understand. Uh, it would make for cool, cool footage though if you could, you know. I can't get back in there, unfortunately, mate. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, um, no, no. I other topic. I was saying filming in a lab that would be cool. Oh right, yeah. Oh, that'd be amazing. I tried that for years, never get anywhere with it. Me too. I tried to get on a um, a chemist too. We should get if you can get a chemist. We could like blur their face out, change their. Voice. I could speak to a couple, but I, I don't think they'd do it. But I, I could always ask. Yeah, tell them we could make it completely, you know, cloaked, and we wouldn't ask. But they'll anything. be even concerned about the fact that that they are revealing their identity to the two of us. 
That's yeah, fair enough. Man. Because I speak to these people via messages, or, or but I don't physically see these people, so I don't physically know how they look. You couldn't identify all, them, yeah. No, but for all I know, it could be somebody I actually genuinely know, you know, or, yeah. or I'm aware of. Yeah, for all of that. So we could get them to put on like a disguise, put a mask on while they talk to us. And I quite like that as well because it gives me deniability as well. Sure, so if sure. Anything it's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> but we could get it. We could get them to put a mask on, so we don't even know who they are. <laughs> you could do it putting a mask on. Oh, <laughs> go on, piss off with your beard. All right. Let's get out of here. Guys, uh, we yes. appreciate you hanging with us. We appreciate you always watching the shows. Of course, check out crosslands.org.uk uh, and uh, go to our great sponsor, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK and, uh, you know, comment, subscribe, all that jazz. We appreciate you guys. See you, Dave. Bye.